we were trying to come up with the cheers and we were struggling. But Spencer said he had a joke that would just be so good we would cheers to it. Yeah. So not to build this up or anything, but <laughs> it's totally we up. really want to hear Here it. Here we are. All right, you guys ready? Yeah. No. I'm born ready. Why does Finland put barcodes on the side of their military ships? I know this joke. You have to wait. <laughs> I don't know. Is this, wait, is this going to be offensive to our Finnish No, listeners? absolutely not. All right, uh, then I don't know. Why? So they can scan the Navy in. <laughs> I'm going back. Just, just get the clink. Just get the clink. Just get it over with. I'm going back home. Hey, everybody. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix Six, our podcast where we have six beers, six conversations, and hopefully you like at least 50% of them. Honestly, I feel like that would be aiming high. Yeah, I mean, well... Shoot for the moon. Totally for it. Uh, and uh, we are here to talk about a variety of things, but this is the pre-party where we get things laid out. Uh, first thing we need to lay out is that Baz is here. Say hi, Baz. Scandinavian. Baz is back, people. <laughs> Real mad about that joke. You motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is starting well. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, also, we have a lot of cons coming up. So, Spencer, you want to talk about that? Yeah. We're going to be out meeting the people, kissing babies. If um, you want to see the man who told that joke... And punch him right in the <laughs> he'll throat. Be, punch him right in the he'll be at a couple of these, but now he's not going to tell you which ones. Uh, we'll be at Moon City Con in April in Springfield, Missouri, hosted by a lot of the fine folks over at the Bananana Podcast uh, and the 417 Gamer Group. Uh, in June, we'll be at Origins in Ohio. It's probably going to be producer Ross and Caleb Sands, me, because I'm not that much fun. Uh, in August, we'll be at Gen Con. We'll be recording a live episode, and we would love to see literally all of you there for that. Uh, and then mm, Current Works, we'll probably be back at metatopia in november as well looks like caleb's got a game that he wants to take mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be able to bring some copies of party foul and red markets baz will also be at gen con oh, super holler so anyways come out and see us we'd love to see you yeah and if you've listened to us for any amount of time you know that as we drink those six beers we rate and review them on a five point scale that rotates with every episode and this week caleb has identified our five point scale which means that if and when you hate this rating system direct all of your facebook anger at him you won't uh, so here's the thing. It, I'm on spring break. I've been to Waffle House three days in a row. I've regretted it zero days. Had a boy, and uh, got me thinking. We should do a rating based on breakfast foods. Love it. So breakfast foods in this instance is going to be one. It's going to be a granola bar. Not really breakfast or food. Nope. Fails in both categories. Hey, did you want this bird seed instead yeah. of anything substantive? Yeah, you're, you're just eating it so you don't die. Yeah, I'm good. Um, two. I'm going to go with cereal. You're at least combining two things. Like it's at least. The granola and milk is at least the bare minimum to qualify its preparation. Let me cooking. Gi- let me give you my hot take on cereal. I like some cereals, obviously just the sugary ones, and I don't like my cereal with milk. Mm. God, is it too spicy? Okay, for and you? yet I'm the monster for like it's drinking it's, soylent. It's too spicy and controversial for <laughs> that palate tried, of have the you Scandinavian cereal joke? with soylent. No, no, no. You know what I like my cereal with? Cereal. You monsters. Yeah. God, if you put soylent, it would just look like like that green scum on the top of ponds. Algae. God, yeah. So it would just be the thing they eat in the Matrix. Yeah. You know I what think. soylent is? It's not green. Mm. I don't. There's a whole film about it, Ross. I think you're wrong. Yeah, I saw it. Charles yeah. and Hasn't screamed a lot. It's people. Um... Spoiler alert. Three, before I was so rudely interrupted, uh, is going to be fruit and yogurt. 
takes some work, but hopefully it's fresh, it's healthy, it's getting you through the day. Can't can't be with you on this. Never had a yogurt I liked. Oh god, yeah. I mean, it's that spicy dairy stuff. It's kind of <laughs> really hurts. What are you a punk rocker with all this milk? <laughs> Uh, all right. Four is going to be waffles. Take some preparation. Strong choice. Uh, you don't have to be anywhere that morning because you got time to make some waffles. Maybe you got some fixins. Put some strawberries on them. No, don't do that. So, dear God, you're a monster. Ego waffle. Some like Aunt Jemima syrup, maybe a little butter. All right, we're good uh, to go. All right, eleven. All right, you're a purist. <laughs> mm-hmm, I got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then five is going to be business and gravy because you don't. You not only not have to be anywhere that morning, you don't have to be anywhere all day. Right. You're going to destroy some biscuits and gravy, and then you're going to need a nap. You need a nap after that. This one's kind of tough for me food. because I don't disagree with you that biscuits and gravy is a five. I think the unique thing about breakfast is that in terms of food categories, breakfast has the most fives of anything to me. It's like a bunch of fives and then a big gap in yeah. everything else. And biscuits and gravy is in the five category. Yeah. We, we are an integer system, though. Right. Yeah. No, I understand how this works. I've done one or two of these yes. that people yeah. didn't hate. <laughs> Quite, quite often two might also, be high right yeah quite often you also put those fives together sometimes also the great thing about breakfast yeah you can have a bunch of fives on the same plate it's a combination by definition most I know, of the time i know but here's where we are all right so we're going to grab some beers we're going to use that rating system and we'll be back in just a second to talk about dissecting our fun and some board game shit Caleb, I see that you have a beer. Well, it's before six, so I'm not drinking milk. <laughs> Don't want the hard you stuff son to of mess a up bitch. my day. God. Uh, I'm going to drink a Jolly Pumpkin Artisan Ales Bamarillo. It's got a Chihuahua on an Amadero. Ah, can I talk? I believe in you. Too much Armadillo. milk. All that milk. Armadillo. Armadillo. Yeah. Too, it's all that milk I had. This it's, a, right. it's, it's an Let's ale with a pineapple, as it's I understand. Got a, yeah. It. It's a bottle, not a can. Um, Great looking bottle. Yeah. Mm. Good design. Good design. Going back in. Uh oh. Round two. Nice art on the label. He typically doesn't round two when he hates things. That's something I've noticed about Caleb. Like mm. it, he's he's trying to decide between a three and a four right now. I'm thinking. Yeah. Bingo. It's a four. It's a four. It's a four. What Nailed type it. of beer is it? It is uh, definitely a waffles. Um, it is a ale with pineapple. Called it. it. It's very light. Maybe a little too light, but I, I like it. Hit me up, boo. Pineapple is like one with... of my all-time favorite flavors in anything, though, so I might be uh, prejudiced. Yeah, but you know, so um, uh, that pineapple sculpin, um, I didn't really care for all that much, and mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this will be really tight. An IPA with some pineapple on the back? No, nah, yeah. I didn't love it. I don't think it's going to be a four for you. But you're very anti-blueberry and stuff, too, um, so we just no, disagree. No, I'm it. actually with you on this. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I actually think the pineapple adds a nice sweetness, roundness yeah. to the back end of that ale. I want that. I want it to be a warmer day to drink this. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, and no, it's it's nice. I like it. Yeah. That on tap uh, outside would drink the literal shit out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you on this. It's like hey, a summer rattler in that respect. You know, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're into dissecting our fun, which if you've listened to us for any amount of time, you know that typically our first beer is about board games. Uh, and Caleb, you suggested this topic, uh, and I know that you've been knee-deep in patchwork lately. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I also know that at some of our game nights, the four of us have played number nine a few times. Mm-hmm. Actually, watching you fumble through the first play of number nine uh, after a, more than a few beers is one of my favorite memories. So thanks for that evening. Uh, I'm not good at it. No, no, uh, terrible. Um, Baz is not a fan of that beer. He that does beer not. is fucking terrible. Yeah, <laughs> He's yeah, very, uh-huh. nope. very oh. sad. He did not care for the Bamarillo. 
Um, so, Caleb, let's talk a little bit about Patchwork Number 9 and Tetris as mechanics. I'm calling them a spatial intelligence game. Yeah, I like because, that. Because uh, when I took my IQ test, that is what I failed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that I was off the right. spectrum on yeah. the wrong end of it. Uh, which, as you can see, because as I tried to play Number 9... I've seen that in action, folks. I was terrible. It is it. not a pretty sight. Um, now, the thing is, I can do... I'm actually pretty good at Patchwork... And I've seen. Does game- Patrick have verticality to it? It does not. Okay. Though. Like so, I can do. I can do the sort of like the mechanic of and other games that you might be familiar with that uses sort of spatial intelligence mechanic. Uh, I, his name eludes me at the moment, but Feast of Odin. Oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Bear, Baron Park. Yeah. Uh, they both by the same designer. They really like that. You know, you've got these squares in, in various shapes, and you're trying to plug them in as succinctly into these grids as possible yep. without leaving open grid spaces open. So patchwork, you're trying to get these you know bits of quilt cloth and you're trying to move them in there. And every time that you have an open square, you're deducting points off yourself. Okay. Um, and then also in patchwork, you'll have buttons on it. So like, do you want to bid for this piece that has more buttons, but it's going to fuck up your whole arrangement? Or oh, do you okay. want to get something that's going to fit nicely into your quilt Competitive pattern, quilt making. But doesn't have a button. So you're going to not, and you're paying these buttons as currency to buy the things. Um, but, I fucking love that. Yeah, it's a great game. It's a great two-player game. I mm-hmm. highly recommend it. Number nine's a great game for people that have spatial intelligence. But the reason I want to bring this up is that these spatial intelligence games, I almost always really enjoy them, even when yes. I'm fantastically terrible at yes. them. Like, remarkably That's the bad. trick. I'm the kid who failed shop and, like, yep. not by a little bit. No, like, you're totally right. My birdhouse looked like an IED. It Flop did house. not look <laughs> like something that could contain life. Because um, I'm just not good at this shit. But I really love it as a game mechanic. And yep. I, I don't really know why. I kind of want to do it in No, I think I, you're totally right. I was thinking about that earlier. <clears throat> I think there are a couple of reasons why. For those of you who are unfamiliar with number nine, quick rundown on the game. So we're in patchwork. You're trying to piece together in Tetris style these pieces of a quilt. In number nine, you are given a, a set of numbers, zero through nine, represented in these really geometric shapes. And one person acts as the caller, turns over a card and tells you what number you get to play next. What you have to do is you have to orthogonally connect these geometric numbers on a certain number of sides to build a foundation and then build up on that foundation using additional numbers, also orthogonal connected nothing can overhang and nothing can hang over into a blank space so you really are building a solid foundation of numbers no 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 but here's the thing here's the thing it's super fun and and caleb's right even when you're magnificently bad and i i love you so much and i cannot underscore this enough you are magnificently bad at number nine it was just the three of you laughing at me as i fretted just moving this piece in but a circle. I think it was like an anxiety dream. I think that's part of the fun. It is one of the few games where the spectacle of watching other people play the game is as enjoyable as the game itself. And so, whereas a lot of games, while you're not playing, you're sitting and just waiting for other people to finish their stuff so it can be your turn, all of you take turns simultaneously, and you are literally watching your friends fumble with the idea of putting blocks together. Yeah. There's something uniquely enjoyable about that. There's also something I think uniquely enjoyable about the really primal put things that go together together. Yeah. Um, in some ways, it is the simplest mechanic I've ever interacted with. Hey, here's a hole, and here's a square. Figure out how to make those two things go together, dumbass. Uh, and you can do it creatively. You can do it interestingly. But at the end of the game, you're going to be evaluated 
using the same set of tools and given the same directives as everyone else, you're going to be evaluated on your ability to creatively put together the same set of pieces in a meaningful way. And I really like it's it's not asymmetrical. Um, it's not particularly um, difficult. It's just you got to think and then you got to put the pieces together. And I think there's something tremendously fun about that and yeah, simple. Yeah, like Baron Park is basically an engine building game for the same thing, but you're having to do it in these, you know, these squares that you have. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and these grids and you've got to maximally use the space in your grid. Um, and, but the same designer did Feast of Odin. I was watching reviews of it and it looks like a nightmare of a worker placement game. We're talking like it'll eat up two tables. It looks like it'll take days. The, the list of moves you can use to put your little Vikings on for your worker placement is like the distance between you and me. That's like three feet long. Oh of just God. different individual icons each of which represents a different action kind of i'm like i'm not into that that looks too bad and then but once you do the worker placement action it gives you funds that you then use to buy a little odd tetra shape and you put it on your viking island and the and that's your engine builder is building this maximal use of this grid that is awesome and and like and like i was at uh metagames and i'm like i saw feast of odin i'm like yeah, for sure. And I'm like, it's 70 bucks, and you're going to hate it because <laughs> it's too complex and it's going to take years to learn. Yeah. And I'm just like, but it sounds kind of tight. I'm, I'm going to put like, I'm going to get like a square block and it's going to fit right in to this little area and that's going to feel so good. There's also but something right in there. There's yeah. also some, yeah. I mean, I do think that the, there, there's some ASMR for me in there for oh, like, yeah. oh man. But I think there's something, you know, the like, don't play with your food problem. The, these games encourage you to play with your food. I mean, there, there's no static board in which you're interacting with a meeple or a piece here and there. You're not moving a thing from one quadrant to the next. You are taking all of the pieces that are available to you, and you're interacting with them. I mean, you're touching them. You're picking them up. It's very tactile. And Oh, Sarah gets pissed at me when we play Patchwork, because about halfway through, I stopped talking to her, and not in, like, a bad way. Oh, it's yeah, just for like sure. Like everything in its right place is just playing through my head and I'm just like in the zone. Yes. I'm like the kid from numbers. I'm just like, oh God, it just feels so good and it's so symmetrical and I, I just don't need people anymore because yeah. I'm in the right place. I've, I've only um, played these games uh, with four, five, six people and the nice thing is that at least for number nine, um, I feel like you can play up to like seven or eight people. I'm not totally sure what the number is. I know that yeah. I played in a large group, I think six the first time that I played. They're good party games. They don't take a long time so if you're looking for fun fillers or thing to move a game night along they function at least number nine does i'm not sure about patchwork they function really well for that purpose but um, I, i'm really interested in them like being added into games that are looking for different types of fun yeah because like that's the thing like feast of odin is so fiddly i can definitely tell it's not going to be my type of fun right like i don't want to take another eight hours of my life away to learn a game that will play once or twice yeah but it's got that little fun little tetris mechanic mm-hmm. and i love those i'm like and like that's the thing it might bring the little sort of tactile stuff into more complicated games yeah that uh might help the game sell and be more interesting sure um so i i'm certainly interested in it from a design space more and more even though again i cannot overstate how terrible i am at it here's a weird question for you <laughs> you know the the way that we talked about this segment as a preview was like number nine patchwork and tetris as a mechanic did you play a lot of tetris as a kid i loved Tetris. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I wonder if there isn't like a significant and meaningful relationship there that 
that at some point the other thing kind of pulling on the fun string isn't the fact that this also just does feel like this game that I grew up playing mm-hmm. and, and probably learning some spatial reasoning around. Yeah. Uh, when it's on a machine, were you better at spatial reasoning than you are in life? And, and again, I, I don't want to reiterate this too often, but in life you're terrible at it. So yeah. are you even like medium to okay? I'm okay at Tetris, but I think it's because my dad is like a savant at Tetris. Uh, okay. Like I had my dad play like a first person shooter once and he figured out the kick button. And, and that was for it. 20 minutes, he just went around kicking all the Nazis and because he, he couldn't figure out how to take out his gun in a Wolfenstein game because like, he, he couldn't print anything. But you get him on Tetris, and he's just like sees the code in the matrix like i've seen him break tetris games like because like well we can't go faster yeah and you're just you're just killing all those lines yeah he's he's amazing at it Mm -hmm. so like i don't know how good i am at tetris because dad was all like all right grab your sticks and like he would (laughs) fucking blow me away at tetris every time so yeah uh, would you recommend purchase uh, number nine and patchwork? Uh, patchwork definitely great couples game. One of the best. Uh, Sarah and I are also trying um, the Arkham Horror card game. Oh yeah, which is a good two player game. But like we did spend four hours trying to figure it out to learn the simpler version of Arkham Horror. Mm, no, I'm good. Which sounds like Arkham Horror. Um, but uh, patchwork, we learned it in like five minutes, and you can set it up in thirty seconds. Love and it. It is really really good. Yeah, would highly recommend number nine. Uh, and Baron Park is also really good. I don't know if I could recommend Feast of Odin um, <laughs> because I haven't played it yet. Yeah. Uh, Shut Up and Sit Down has a very good review of it that got me excited to play it because I was looking for more games like this mechanic. Right. But, but uh, man, it looks fiddly. And Be- I don't know if I need another Viking game. Best guess is that James Burns and or Darren Pretty has played F- yeah. Feast of Odin. If you have, I look forward yeah, to your reviews in the, in the comments. comments. Yeah. Sh- should I cave in and get that? Because, Amen. Yeah. All right. More beer, more stuff. Will BRB. So this is from Charleville Vineyard Microbrewery in St. Genevieve, Missouri. It's a Flanders Red, a Flanders-style ale aged in oak barrels with cherries. We do love the cherries around here, so mm. I have high expectations for this. And frankly, Especially if they're cherries. The, well, yeah. Only way to say it, BTW. <laughs> the, the nose is very good. He's drinking it. His throat is undulating. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me try that. Fuck yes to that beer. Um... Ooh, and, that is quite good. And there's an expectation that it would have a little bit of a bloody back end, given its texture. No, never not quite, at all. Never quite gets there. No, it's it's cherry and a little bit of tart all the way down. Mm. I'll need I'll need to go back to it, but that's a solid four. If it were a little colder, this might be a five. I'm gonna take I, I'm gonna I, take a round I two. I think that's a five for me. Um, yeah, that's a five. Yeah, yep. that's a straight up biscuits and gravy. As you want in on that. You want to give it a go? It's a Flanders-style ale aged in cherries. Caleb, while we are palate-blessed with the Flanders-style yeah, ale, episode so far. we're really lucky today. We have a far way to fall. What uh, what we be talking about her? That finish is interesting. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not quite a bad good. way. No. no. It's delicious. It's almost like lactic. Yes, a little yeah, bit. It would be... But not it, in a way that I hate. It could have a yeah. terrible aftertaste if done like... 
wrong in any capacity. Stillwater would, but it does. Yeah, yeah. If Stillwater, Stillwater, that'd be poison. Or Omnipolo made it. That would be undrinkable. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Omnipolo especially. We have to start picking on them because Stillwater did have a beer that didn't kill us. Oh, don't worry. I will see you in segment (laughs) four. (laughs) Omnipolo. There we Uh go. All right. Uh, So this one, this is all me. Uh, This is a mix six mock draft. This is great. You didn't even vote for it. I didn't even care (laughs) because I wanted to do it. Um, And we're gonna do living political figures. On a roller derby team. Fucking love it. So uh, roller derby teams, if you don't know, have three positions, five people total. You'll have a pivot. That is the team leader, team captain out in front. You have the jammer. That is the usually small spry person in the back trying to lap the other team to score points. And then you have the blockers, which are the big violent ones that are you have three blockers trying to stop the jammer and, and the other blockers. So uh, we got to roll a die, though. So Let's fucking do this. Roll them bones. Six. The D10 BTW. Call Baz. Make sure we're being above board here. Ah, oh, damn. I, too, also have a team. Okay. Oh, you also have a team? Right, we'll roll, this. all right. One. One, all right. You're okay. after me. Remind me the order in which we're picking pivots. Is it blockers, pivots, Let's do jammer? blockers first. Okay, blockers first. Blockers, pivot, jammer. Yeah, then I'd like to I'd like to draft first is what I've decided. Right. So we'll draft first. You'll go second. Baz will go third, mm. then fourth, then back to you, mm-hmm. then back to me. Snake order? Yeah. Great, 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 great. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, blockers. So here's what I'm thinking. you got to have people who are willing to risk their lives, nay, careers, on the ability to stop others from doing what they need to do. And in that vein, I can think of no one greater than Mitch McConnell. Yeah. And if you don't <laughs> you agree go. with me, just ask Merrick Garland. <laughs> that's pretty okay? good. Yep. If he can block legislation, he can block... Supreme Court nominations. Roller skaters. Legislation. <laughs> American progress. There's also the chance you get a, a crippling injury as a result of this. Well, I tried not to take uh, <laughs> physical stature into account on some of these. Oh, I totes did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I just want to see him eat some shit. You know, like, <laughs> I say that, and then at least one of my next two picks is almost exclusively because of f- physical stature. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to start with Mitch McConnell. I feel like it's a strong pick and a safe pick off the board. Round one. Caleb, you're up. Really, you got to go into the GOP hard for blockers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. where it's at. So uh, I'm going to pick uh, Chris Christie. Oh, yeah. Because yep. you know what? You know yep. who's going to play dirty as shit? Sure. Chris Christie. He's going to bring brass knuckles onto the fucking rink. Yeah. He, he's a monster. And he's a wide man. Yeah, his fast like, might die on the there, too. <laughs> just like, get away. Yeah. Fi- yeah. Passing him is not going to be an easy task. He blocked all. a whole bridge. Am I right? <laughs> exactly. But also, what, what else does he have to do? Exactly. He's got got some free time. Lots of free time. Also from Jersey, so I'm sure there's tons of roller derby teams up there. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm sure he's very versed in the nuances of the sport. Now I'm with you on that. Baz, first pick Uh, for blocker. I also went for a big stature, and uh, I'm I'm going Jesse Ventura. Oh Oh, yeah. And, and like kind of has like the 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 entertainment yeah, aspect and a too. Unhinged, already, you know, he's got yeah. kind of a little conspiracy theory nut jobs. So yeah, yeah. Deep I could cut. just see him like throw an elbow and scream like jet fuel kit melt steel beams <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a tight pick, Baz. You get to pick next because it's a snake order. All right, so still on blockers. We're picking blockers. three. Uh, going for another big stature guy with a lot of muscle and then uh, you know good build, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Oh yeah, he's still around. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you've you've taken the action star angle here, which I, makes a lot of sense. I want the big guys, right? I get that you're picking a winning team. Yeah, well. and that's an interesting strategy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to say. Yeah, <laughs> Caleb, next pick for you. All right, uh, again, GOP has a deep bench for blockers for sure. I'm gonna go with Eric Greitens. Because he is going to need a job very soon. Uh, he is a former Navy SEAL, so it's fucking stacked. Yeah. Also, he's super creepy. Do you want to? Do you want to skate by his hands? No, absolutely. Uh, no one wants to be near him. Yeah. He's blocking like psychically as well as physically. Isn't, so isn't that that's one of your greatest politicians, isn't it? Yeah, that's our politician. That's our politician that tried to show his hairdresser quote how to do a pull up. Then tied her to his pull-up bar and took pictures of her so she couldn't blackmail him okay. when they had extramarital sex. He's a terrible monster on the rink and morally. Bingo. So, Bingo. Uh, there we go. I like that you branded him, too. Like That's <laughs> that's a pretty tight play there. All right. Uh, second pick for me, I wanted to get out of elected representation. And instead, I wanted to think like a little more big picture about living political figures. And I did make a stature pick. Uh, Clarence Thomas, I think, would be an exceptional blocker. And there are a number of political jokes to make here, and I'm not going to make any of them. Instead, I'm just going to say that I don't think anyone gets wants to get too close to Clarence Thomas, um, <laughs> given some stuff. Yeah. Okay? Uh, snake order, I get to pick my last blocker, and um, I want to get a little international. Not that Baz hasn't with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I want to think in terms of international politics. Who else do I want? And here, again, we want somebody cutthroat willing to do some dirty shit to achieve what they want to achieve. My third blocker, and I think the sneaky pick of this draft, Teresa May. Yeah. (laughs) That woman will slit your throat in a heartbeat. Not to mention, like, she's probably willing, she's probably willing to throw herself around a little bit, is what I'm saying, to get done what she needs to get done. Caleb, next pick for you. This is my sneaky one. This is where I get off the GOP bench. I'm going overseas to get a ringer. Slavoj's my boy. Slavoj Zizak in the mix. He's big. Well, living political figures. Slavoj Zizak. Uh, that is to say, the politics <laughs> is within the ideology you of the pop culture. It is uh, uh, the agenda. <laughs> exactly. So, he's a man of the people. All right? You find me one man who looks more like he hangs around roller rigs at all hours of the day than Slavoj Zizak. All right? The crowd's going to fucking love him. He's fat as hell, and he's going to take up a lot of real estate on that fucking rink. And he is a roller skate aficionado, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that the Slovenian roller rinks in like the 70s and 80s were well acquainted with Slavoj Zizak. I appreciate that we have a small but vocal band of listeners who now also agree with me that... In every mock draft, you make an obviously extra topical pick, and you also suggest it is the best pick of every mock draft. And you know what? You're probably not wrong, because it doesn't play by the fucking rules. It doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you know what was best in that knife fight? Uh, My rules, tank. Uh, which is to say, in politics, uh, okay. it is defined by the largest and uh, powerful... All right, Slavoj, go get another gravy store. Uh, Baz, sure. your second and third block, or your third blocker. Uh, just listeners to experience the Slavoyan person, you, <laughs> you gotta see. It's a, it's a whole persona. Yeah. It's not just the voice. He really just transforms it. It, it is rather special. He's um, more of a wear Slavoy than an impersonator. My mm-hmm. third blocker, I'm going to pick from the GOP group. Um, it's specific. It's Paul Ryan, but specific 
specific Paul Ryan fitness weightlifting Paul Ryan <laughs> photographs. Yeah. Yeah, the mid curl. That man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That man can do some damage. Yeah. Now I'm with you on this. Yeah. Um. Uh, now we're picking pivot. Mm-hmm. And, and remind that me again. Was a, that was a great re- choice. Remind me again, club. What's the pivot? The pivot can be pivot both. Pivot is in the lead. They start the rink. Yeah. Uh, they are also the team captain. Right. So they are calling the shots amongst the blockers it, and the jammer. Okay. Okay. So we're doing the pivot first. Yeah, we're yeah. doing the pivot okay. first. Yeah. Because they're not the jammer. The jammer is basically the guy taking the snitch. Right, right. Or the girl. And the jammer is the also the one trying to break through the blockers. Yeah, got to yeah. break through okay. the blockers. Great, 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 great. Okay. Best. Uh, you up. get to choose your pivot. My pivot is uh, the onions take on dirtbag Joe Biden. <laughs> Seems good. <laughs> so yeah. Joe Biden, as depicted in the onions. Yeah, yeah. with the, yeah. the cutoff sleeve shirt, the the T bird. He would be a pretty great roller derby captain. Oh, yeah. I will give you that. You know, yeah. Like, he would have strategies planned out. He'd oh, yeah. get the whiteboard He out. totally would. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, who's your pivot? Uh, my pivot is going to be the only man that can get this coalition I've assembled for my blockers of these two GOP perverts and then a socialist pervert uh, together and working in, in one. The, who, who has the charisma to do that? It's Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Ooh. Also, damn. fit Ooh. as hell. Yeah. Like, make he's going to make, he's going to give Ryan a a run for his fucking money for in sure. terms of fitness. He's going to work the crowd, which yeah. is very important in roller derby. If they're not on your side, right. you're, it doesn't matter if you win the game. No, I totally agree It's half you. pro wrestling. This so, is a sneaky good pick. Yeah. Um, I'm about to win the whole thing, but until then, I think that Justin Trudeau is the one that caught me off guard the most. Okay, so I'm going to go back to back. I'm going to name my pivot, then my jammer. And should we wrap up with team name after we do the jammer? Yeah, Just yeah. get it out all in yeah. one? Okay, so... I was going to pick Paul Ryan as my pivot, all right, because I thought Ryan has served both roles, even recently, right? He's been both a blocker and a lubricator, and I use that sense very technically, all right? (laughs) But because he's off the board and I play by the rules, Caleb, I got some backup work here done, okay? So my pivot, right? You need someone who's going to call the shots. You need someone who's going to be honestly a little bit mindless about the whole thing and someone who's just just out there saying shit, just screaming from the top of their lungs, do this, do that. I can think of no one better than Betsy DeVos, all right? The woman is detached from all reality. Nothing bothers her. Like, literally everything is a glancing blow. But she won't even know how to skate. No, no, no. That's the, that's the best part, is that she won't know how to skate, and yet she will still find her way around the room. And you know what? I have proof of this. The woman has been Secretary of Education for nearly a year, and somehow she hasn't found her way into a failing school, okay? So Betsy DeVos is my pivot. She was originally my jammer, and I had a good argument for that, mm-hmm. but I had a backup jammer in place, so I've right. moved DeVos from my jammer to my pivot for my jammer. I need someone. Did he snake Paul Ryan from you? No. Well, he snuck Paul Ryan out of my ah, pivot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For my jammer, I need someone so hell-bent on breaking up two people, let alone two men in many instances, touching each other, that <laughs> the sheer hatred that flows through one's muscles causes um, an adrenaline-like surge to break humans apart from one another, and in that way, I have chosen Mike Pence as my jammer. Oh, that's a good pick. The thought of seeing other people touching is so disgusting to Mike Pence that the only thing <laughs> he, he could do them. is to outrace them, only to shove their While hands While screaming, apart. I'm sorry, mother. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so here are my picks, top to bottom. Uh, pivot, team captain, Betsy DeVos, blockers, Mitch McConnell, Clarence Thomas, Teresa May, jammer, Mike Pence. So my team name. And I want you to know that I went through this entire exercise with the team name first and then built a team around that. The Devostitutes. Nice. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, all right. 
Good job. Yeah, no, I think I win this one. I mean, go ahead, give it a shot. But I feel strong about where I've. You know, you have the the team has to win, not just the name of Uh, the team. You could probably get a couple million from the Department of Education right now for a charter school with that name alone. No, I think. Yeah, I think. I think that this has some real legs. I think it's got some roller skated legs. All right, so my jammer, you need someone small because you got to get into those elbows for the blockers. You need to be quick on their feet, able to adjust on the fly. Mm Most importantly, they're the smallest person on the rake against a lot of big people trying to kill them. You need someone that's tough. RGB. Ginsburg outlives Ooh, Scalia's ass. Yeah. She still outlives Scalia's ghost, who's no doubt haunting the courtroom. America. Uh, she will not go down, hmm. and that she's my jammer. She's going to be in her fucking robes. She's not going to care. She's going to be whizzing around, racking up them bonus points. RGB for the win. It's good pick. Yeah, no, th- th- we we know for a fact that Scalia Ghost is haunting the, the courtroom. It's called Gorsuch. There it <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, team name, Caleb? The shit golem, his spirit inhabited after he passed. Uh, so I have uh, a Canadian prime minister, yeah. a socialist. Uh, I got members of the GOP and left-leaning Democrats. Yeah. It's the four-party system, but we spell four, F-O-R, because they're pro-partying. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's a six. I think the trick was mine was an 11. You know what I mean? And so I think that's where we are on hey, this. Hey, you know what? We're going to beat you on the rink, and that's where it counts. I think we all know that the voting here, hashtag Team Spencer, is, <laughs> is about puns and awesome points. Uh, Baz, uh, Jammer and Team Name, Sir. Jammer, uh, I'm going for small size as well. He's not quite as small as uh, Ginsburg, but um, he's, he's slimy. He's gonna slide right oh, through. Oh, get, get right, get right through there. Yeah, he didn't get through anything. Yeah, he's, you can't hold on to him. He's so slippery. The, the, it's gonna be a Jeff Sessions. <laughs> Ooh, he is a greasy boy. He's literally a Keebler elf. Gone, yeah, yeah, gone rogue. The only thing you can grab are those ears. Yeah, yeah. 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 Downside. And he might that. laugh himself while you're holding yeah. him, right. like a and, cartoon. And then kind of the image of Jeff Sessions just popping up between two people hey. like a ferret. And you know he, what I he mean? He can like, take a lot of punishment. Yeah. You know? You oh can yeah. Publicly castigate him, humiliate him again and again, and right. he'll, he'll, he'll go back out there. Yeah, as long as he Sessions is the man you can't figure out how to fire. Yeah, can't stop him. Unfireable. We changed the locks, and he was just here the next. How can you fire a man who has fired himself so many times? Uh, Bass, team name? I uh, can cut Biden's bitches. Because <laughs> he would do it. He would just say it. I like it. Yeah. 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 It's in character. It's, it's yeah. dirtbag Honestly, Biden. it might have been the second best name of the table. Yeah. No offense, Club. Mm-hmm. I'm going to win on the... On the rink. That's all that matters. I look forward to Hashtag seeing. I look forward to seeing your votes in the comments. I also look forward to putting another notch on that belt. Uh, <laughs> thanks in advance for your support. With that note, we got to get some more beer. We'll be back with Com Corner in just a second. Baz, like uh, you're you're going to review a beer. What what the fuck are you drinking, man? Um, a beer with Second Street Brewing. Second shift. Second shift. Second shift. Yeah. You're going to get there. Sorry, yeah. Uh, technical Ecstasy. Now, the can... It's got a little robot having an orgasm on it. Yeah. Technical Ecstasy, I was just saying, sounds like something your friend brings at a party at like 3 a.m. goes, dude, technically it's Ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> just 
the can looks like like what a like what uh, a uh, a um, subculture might do in 1984. Yeah, like, like it's highly utilitarian, but someone was like, "But we have an orange well, marker." You remember the other second shift? Can. Yeah, they, yeah. They all look like hand drawn. Yes. Yeah, they all look like mortar pellets. Yeah, uh, and then just someone put the, a sticker on them. The drawing looks like. It was done by someone who probably wears glow sticks. Yeah, someone on someone <laughs> on technical ecstasy. It probably technically it's ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it is a um, so the uh, Czech style pilsner, which I'm a huge fan of. All right, get in there. What? He's drinking it. Czech style pilsner. I don't know what what's the difference between that I'm and the regular uh, pilsner. Anti Teddy on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Not a pilsner guy. What are you thinking? <laughs> That's an interesting face. It's it t- is. It is a. You know, like a Carlsberg or a Heineken yeah. or any of those, like yeah. one of those Cronenberg. Yeah, <laughs> Cronenberg, green, green bottle beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it it's like that. It lacks the skunk, though. Oh, the skunk know. is actually important to those beers. Get, the skunk get, is missing. Get in there, in kind of a good way. I'm not a Pilsner fan, so but I it almost this. has a um, a like a malt liquor finish. Nope, I don't like anything about what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. One to five. <laughs> no, I'll give, it, I'll give it a three. Okay, that's oh. a fruit and yogurt. Yeah, I'm gonna mm. give it a shot. I mean, I'm not excited. It's too high. It's like a Lost Lake malt liquor pill. This is a day of discovery, new events. You know, mm. just too high, too high. Ooh, the scent is not good. No, it's it, not. it might be a two. Be um, a two Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, we're gonna talk about in your number two vote getter com corner uh, a question from Adam L. Adam L. Oh. Thanks for the good question. Uh, he asks us that is teaching English and teaching rhetoric the same or different? What makes them different or similar? I just want to say that that beer tastes like the inside of a shoe store. <laughs> like, like when you walk into like a like a Foot Locker, it is sort of like aerosol leather. Yeah, leather. yeah. it's got a scent to it. Yeah. It's got a lingering aftertaste. Yeah, Foot Locker. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, okay. Well, they couldn't all be fours and fives. That's yeah. right. That's right. All the way down. Or uh, bass. Yeah. My my headphones. Turn his headphones up. He down, can't. He, he needs more snare. Turn his headphones down. down. Never mind. Turn. He needs less snare. Yeah. All right. Calm corner. Um. Really excited about this question. Obvi. Also really excited that I think you and I have slightly different perspectives. Yes. On this, and we don't argue often. I mean, obviously, we're in total agreement. <laughs> yes. Every time we do this never, kind of thing, we never disagree. No. Uh, I think the problem is you're turning my headphones down, uh, and. <laughs> So things feel. I'm so glad that we're going to edit this out and be a professional podcast afterwards, right, it, Ross? This is much. This right? is what it feels like to be just Stanley Kubrick. I feel like <laughs> just oh, my senses are gone. Film. Um, let's talk a little bit about English and rhetoric. So you believe that these things um, maybe are not certainly not treated as similar, right? I and mean, I think that's the premise. Oh, they're we need definitely to not treated similar. They're, they're definitely not definitely treated not similarly, right? Let, let me, for example, say that um, in my in my graduate program, rhetorical studies is a unique program. Yeah, um, it is not an English program. Mm-hmm. It is in the Department of Communication. It is not in the Department of English. And there is a hard and fast line drawn by many of the people that you read between English and rhetoric. Oh, I think we agree more. Where you where then you think? Oh, okay, okay. Uh, your argument though is, uh, I think they should be taught the same way, but they are not. And yeah, no, our, uh, our arguments are pretty different. Yeah. No, but no, I think at some point you okay. do need to split off. Oh, okay, good. I, I I do not think like rhetorical criticism is the same as like English literature. Oh, no, 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 by yeah. any means. So like by college, yes. But I assume what Adam was asking about was like generally in American culture, and what I would say is ideally as things started off, because yeah. everything started off as basically rhetoric. Right. You know, you started had to learn fucking Greek to go to school and yeah. shit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Ideally, yes, it should be the same thing because basic rhetoric. 
if you're going to talk ethos, logos, pathos, if you're going to talk, you know, evidence and, you know, point, counterpoint and thesis and appeal, narrative rebuttal, counter argument, narrative structure, different contexts, considering the audiences, that should be everything you need in English, except for like the basic literature terms like foreshadowing and metaphor and simile, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. it's, it's going to overlap to the point. Yeah. Like, I mean, you might have to cover like assonance and shit like that for poetry separately, but yeah. that shit in actual discourse in the actual world today is so not necessary. Like, I love iambic pentameter as much as the next guy, but like, you don't need that in high school or right. ever again unless you're going to be an English teacher. Right. Whereas, can you make words and get what you want with those words is perhaps the most useful of skills. Yeah. So ideally, yes, rhetoric in English should be the same thing up until a point sure. until you get to the collegiate level. Can we agree on that much? Yeah, I think uh, I think what we can agree on, and let me <clears throat> let me like redefine a little bit to make sure we're on the same page that this is a Venn diagram with a ton of fucking overlap up to a point. Mm-hmm. It, and then there are, I think, some clear moments when the two things need to separate a yeah, little Yeah, and bit. I think that's college. Like, that's yeah. when we need to veer off. Yeah, totally. In in um, American secondary education, uh, kind of given our current climate, I think it makes a lot of sense to treat the two as similar topics because really what you are talking about, and I think you're totally right here, you're talking about issues of structure, issues of articulation and purpose, right, and issues of technique. Um, and all of those uh, apply in various ways to both the study of rhetoric as a standalone discourse and the study of English as a standalone discourse. And so I agree with you that there's much overlap. Where do you think the break is? Ah, so here's the thing in terms of the actuality. Yeah. The idea that you can do most of the things you need to do with English education with just basic rhetorical education is something that was accepted as truth for pretty much the entirety of public education up until the recent few years because there was a point in which you taught reading, and once you learned how to read, then you taught rhetoric, and that was just English class. Like There wasn't anything... It was like 1880 before anyone thought of a creative writing class or anything like that. So it was... before it was a separate discipline and then if you went on to further studies you either wrote literature or studied literature or you became a rhetorician and you yeah. did political science or something like that yeah but here's the thing that's when people could read and they can't anymore ever at all so we go straight from reading into english which is just more how to read and then we fail again and now uh rhetoric is a thing for people who learn how to read that they start in college and that's the way it wow. is right now damn yeah actually, slicing that pie i actually have I can actually attest to that. <laughs> Being somebody who went to college much later in life, uh, uh, both my English composition courses were rhetoric based, one hundred percent. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, English comp one and two were both rhetoric. It was all about learning how to rhetorically uh, <clears throat> recognize rhetoric and use it in your writing, which is kind of sad. And that is most general English departments in most universities around the. The United States, yeah. it is your general liberal arts English credits yeah. are really general English art ret- rhetoric yeah. credits. Like, yeah. uh, can you do ethos logos? Can you do a rhetorical analysis? Can right. you analyze a point and a counterpoint or right. an appeal, rebuttal, and a counterargument? Like, yeah. That kind of stuff. But, but uh, the thing is, we should be doing that like junior high. Sure, yeah. But the way you do that is that kids go home and read anything at all ever, yeah. Yeah. and then they practice their reading skills as everyone had practiced their reading skills with hundreds of years by continually reading once they learn the basics of reading and slowly getting better at it. 
we don't do that anymore, no, and yeah. I still have to teach kids when they're seniors what a complete sentence is. Yeah. And so that's what English is. Yeah, yeah. That's what English is in high school. It should be rhetoric, because right. it should be the basics of rhetoric, and we should split off much sooner in the upper levels. But as it is today, at least in America, it is desperate attempts at basic grammar, basic spelling, sure. basic paragraph organization. All this shit that you just internalize when you read frequently, but yeah. no one reads anything at all yeah. ever for any reason anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, they should be, but they aren't. So I am I am of the opinion that it's good to... It's good that these act as um, um, probably... Um, I'm sorry, Baz just finished this... Technical ecstasy. Tall boy Pilsner and... God, you Three can look minutes? At, yeah, you can look at your clock on that podcast, but yeah. it, it was an impressive number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Damn. I, I am of the opinion that these ought to be um, diverging branches on the same tree, probably, but I think there are some important reasons for that divergence. So a couple of things that you just said I want to unpack a little bit. Thing number one um, is in terms of what kinds of things I think that we currently lump into those categories, uh, certainly in terms of secondary education and probably even in terms of post-secondary education in some places. I was fortunate enough to spend time in some really great rhetorical programs where people were going out of their way to do modern rhetorical criticism, which yeah. is kind of its own unique thing. And it, you know, it updates the canon a little bit, but um, in, in terms of how we treat these things in secondary education, I think you're totally right. I think that one of the, th this is not unlike a conversation I think when you get past Aristotle. Yeah. You're in rhetorical criticism. It needs to be your wheelhouse. Right. Right. I think that's the trick. But the thing is to get past Aristotle, right. you got to be able to get past the first hurdle in intellectual clarity, which is, I know what the fuck you're talking about, That's which right. when they don't read, right. Doesn't happen. Right. Cause it's just nonsense. Gibberish. Sentences. Totally agree. Right. And I think that one of the problems we run into, at least in secondary education, as I've experienced it. And so I admit that my purview is limited here, um, is that we have a really bad tendency to lump, um, rhetoric into a kind of classics bundle um, here is Aristotle, here is ethos, pathos, logos, here is the study of rhetoric. Um, and, th and then we kind of move on and we talk about English in interesting ways, which is fine. But I think the problem is that that anchors rhetoric uh, in an, a really unhealthy way. I think it's good to say that rhetoric begins at a point, but I don't think it gets pulled through as a through line. And, and I think that more specifically, the secondary education I've been exposed to does not treat that as a living, breathing mechanism for understanding contemporary texts. And I think that where rhetoric and English diverge at the post-secondary level is very interesting because good rhetoric programs take modern and contemporary texts and then find interesting ways of figuring out how and why an orator or a rhetorician attempts to move the will. And good English criticism, textual criticism that I've seen, tends to speak more structurally uh, about the nature of things. And so I think that there are some interesting points of distinction there, and I think there are some valuable points of distinction. Um, not just in what fits in the categories of criticism, but also what fits in the categories of uh, topics of study. Um, I, I don't think that it makes a ton of sense necessarily to talk about the, um, you know, the narrative paradigm in Trump's redefinition of America uh, as a study of English as much as it does a study of rhetoric, because I do think there is a distinction between these things. Um, Rhetoric for me, rhetoric for Burke, uh, is about, you know, the use of symbols for the moving of the will. And I think there's a hortatory element to rhetoric that does not necessarily exist with English. And I think that's why English is interesting in and of itself, that you can have conversations about form, which are unique to formal conversations, that I think 
absolve function from the conversation in some ways. And rhetoric, I think, has to have a conversation about form and function. And so I think that the bridging of those two desires makes rhetoric a unique category and makes English a unique category and that it doesn't have to do that. And so I don't think they're the same thing. I don't think they should be treated as the same thing. But I do think that the toolbox from which we draw is a shared toolbox in a lot of ways. And here's where we separate completely right Right. here. Because I do not view Trump's success as a rhetorical victory so much as I view it as a literacy failure. Like a literacy defeat. And I'll be open about that. He's in power because people can't read. I said it. Put it on my gravestone. Let's say it. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We don't necessarily differ on that, though. I think that's the important thing. It's um, so I, I have no doubt that his rhetoric is effective for the audience he's pursuing. There we, there it, we go. But I'm I'm not going to say like, oh, the Machiavelli of words. Like right. it's not a great strategic decision on his part. It yeah. is a failure of no one reads anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I just I just think there's a difference between saying airplanes work because. Um, someone built a machine with an engine that moved forward uh, and airplanes work because gravity failed. You know what I mean? In some ways, we're saying the same thing here. Yeah. Uh, the question is in terms of intent and that's the should, right? But I'm uh, just saying like if you had a basic understanding and we could get to a basic understanding of ethos, logos, pathos in say high school. Sure. And that it was say widespread across the world rather than like this is where the comma goes. Don't write things in all caps. For the love of God, put your name on the paper. Like, if we could get past that into that very basic rhetorical criticism yeah. stuff, I think a lot of like they're coming to rape us and take our jobs yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. Like, no, I t- if you're inoculated to that, even with the lame Aristotle anchoring stuff, yeah, and uh, we don't do that. No, so. I, I agree with you that there's a social issue at play here, which yeah. is you know our in a vacuum definitions of yeah. terms. Uh, don't really matter all that much. And that I think that, um, well, you know, and, and, and this for me is, again, kind of the nature of this conversation, that at the core of any good public speaking class, which is just a rhetoric class, you know, in sheep's clothing, is to know your audience. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is something tactical, strategic, intentional, and hortatory um, about um, race baiting, gender baiting, <laughs> sex yeah. baiting language, <laughs> yeah. right? Because it's a know your audience thing. Yeah. And, and that for me, and I think the introduction of audience, which is a question of movement of the will, is the thing which gives rhetoric a unique purpose as compared to some English and textual criticism. Yeah. And that's the stuff that I'm interested in. That's why I went yeah. one path and not the other. Um, what has been so refreshing um, in spending so much time with you and having deep conversations with you is the reminder that while these things are treated as uh, day and night, black and white, distinct parts of universities for the purposes of academic completion, um, much of the stuff I hear you talk about that you willingly and knowingly talk about is rhetorical stuff and you understand that. And so I think that the the carving up of these things is art purposefully artificial and unpurposely artificial sometimes. Mm-hmm. But again, I think we're talking about pulling a lot of the same shit from the same bucket with some minor add-ons. So could we there. agree that at least early in education, ideally taught together or as a unit, but not that way oh, currently. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I'm not saying like get rid of graduate communications programs. No, 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 like no. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the, there's a fundamental difference between evaluating something yeah. um, because of its formal structure, iambic mm-hmm. pentameter, yeah. and evaluating that same piece because of its audience and what it assumes and makes of the audience. That doesn't change the piece. That changes the way in which you interpret the piece. Yeah. But that's a similar skill set to be yeah. able to critically think about what the piece is doing using X or Y method. Um, and I think the ability to do that 
is lacking so, culturally. Adam, that's where we're at. Should be, but isn't. Sorry. Shouldn't no. always be also. Yeah, shouldn't always be also. Right. Uh, Should but. be, isn't, shouldn't always be also. But we're going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> uh, more beer, more business. We'll be right back. Caleb, good luck uh, pronouncing this name. It is Uinta yeah, sure. Brewing Company's uh-huh. uh, Lime Pilsner. Love a good lime. Not a fan of a Pilsner. Yeah, I'm excited for Definitely this. not as much of a fan of Pilsner as Baz over here. No, that, that was Herculean. It was technically... That was working out Paul Ryan. Uh, the three. lime makes Pound it... Three. Yeah, the lime makes it fruit and yogurt. It makes it, you know, to- tolerable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I gotta try this. The lime makes it fruit and yogurt. It's like a Pilsner, and I'm just like, why did I even take the effort to drink that? Is Which like, is most Pilsners. But then there's a little lime on the back, and it's like, oh, there's something to that besides Pilsner. Do two so, things for me here. First, compare it to a Bud Light lime. Uh, better. Okay. A Corona with a lime. Oh, not even close. Okay, great. Miles love, away. Love where we are on this. Uh, Caleb, what are we talking about? <laughs> Baz just Baz is surprised. Rubble. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk T. about in your number one mm-hmm. vote getter. Uh, I put it on there just to see if you just wanted something new because I know you haven't heard of We Make a Pair yet by the time we've recorded this. And you Four did. Times. You did want something new. Uh, <laughs> so this is going to be your number one vote getter, We Make a Pair, where we're going to pair a drink with a thing that is typically not paired with a drink. Right. Uh, so in this instance, we are going to pair it with a school of philosophy. So it's going to be what you drink with schools of philosophy, either discussing them, reading them, uh, but what are you going to drink while you are studying the nature of knowledge itself? Yeah, I'm really excited to jump into this, but before we do that, I need to say something about the Uinta Lime Pilsner. <laughs> yeah. I would drink the absolute fuck out of that. Yeah. Really? That tastes like one of those like lime sickles that yeah. just melted. It tastes like soda. And then you just start... Ch- Why is that a bit? And then you start chugging it. And then 11 of those later, you have shit yourself. It is better later down. I yeah. think it tastes like a non-sugar-wise non, non like, like sugar wise offensive lime Rita. Yes. Like it's Are you saying that's better than a Corona with a lime? No. No, 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 no. All right. I, I, will, no, no, no. I will slap the microphone no, 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 from no, no. I think we all know how I feel about a good right. Corona with a lime. All right. Well, okay. Are we starting with nihilism? Yeah. Okay. Don't we all? Uh, I'm going to let you jump in there, boo. Uh, so nihilism, you're drinking a Miller Lite. You've given up and you want everyone to know. Uh, and what what conveys that better than a Miller Lite? I'm, you, th- is this beer only? Uh, I, I thought so. It's about to not be. It, he's violated the terms with talk about extra topical pigs. First Jeez. off, I don't know that we ever technically agreed that we make a beer was only only beer. I don't know that we ever technically agreed Slavoj Zizak couldn't be on a roller derby team, but there we go. We technically agreed on what living political figure <laughs> meant, I thought, which was the issue, sir. Uh, here it is. Yeah. Um, so in my extra topical pick of the day, <laughs> I agree with everything you said about the nature of nihilism. You've given up. Nothing fucking matters. It's Malort. <laughs> hey. See, now. I mean. Oh, excuse me. It's Soylent. <laughs> okay. Malort is fucking poison. Right. I will give you that. Yeah. Like, if if you are a nihilist drinking Malort, you have sort of overcome the problem of nihilism. That's right. In that you are actually committing suicide. Actively. Slowly. Right. Very slowly. Intentionally. But you, you are actively getting it over with and going into the dark. For what it's worth. you read Eugene Thacker. But. That's my you only. You kind of go. You kind of go, go out. 
of your way to get Malort. Whereas a Miller Lite is always there calling your name like the Abyss. That's my only non-beer pick for so, what it's worth. I have a pick. Get in there. To right. pull us back to the rails of beer. <laughs> Much like everyone who says they're a nihilist, or like I am a nihilist, right. and when you try a philosophical discussion with them... They aren't. They Well, they're not. And they're more either an absurdist or... A hedonist. Yeah, yeah, hedonist, something bullshit. They're automatically right, and they will take that stance. So therefore, I think nihilism is an IPA because everyone who drinks an IPA is like, it's the best beer. Like if you don't drink IPAs, you don't know what you're, you know. Oh, it's just so trendy. It's, it's so, disgusting. It's, yeah. Just yeah. like, just like everything. That's a nihilism. good pick. I, I like don't, that. I don't want, to, I don't want to pile all of our IPA drinkers into that because I do, I know quite no. a few of critical IPA drinkers. IPA is a flavor. But, in but the you have to acknowledge the IPA bro. Likes, uh, yeah. IPA bros are yeah. IPA bro. Yeah. Like yeah. Oh, founders, all the IPA. It's great. Yeah. yeah. No. Okay. I'm with you on this. Yeah. Now just to, Side thing, non beer related. So I want to do a non beer one. Just Spencer got to do one. Okay, all right. Kombucha. <laughs> the fuck, man. <laughs> fuck gross. You can, you can drive four hours just to troll me. Doesn't <laughs> really just do just four hours well spent. <laughs> just do what literally everyone else does in at me on a social media platform. Hey, it's, you know what? That's why he's better at it. He's he goes the extra mile. Uh, existentialism, Caleb. What you got? I'm gonna go with a ginger lemon rattler because I make what? my own meaning. And it's technically mm. not oh. a beer. It's technically a malt beverage. Yeah. Oh. But I'm going to drink it like a beer because oh, meaning is mutable and uh, it's delicious. And I will make it be delicious in my mouth. Um, I went with a slightly different path here. Um, the... <laughs> You think existentialism is a lot darker than I do. I, I, I sort of think it's redemptive, but you're like full blown the stranger with this pick. There, right. There's like there's a stri- there's a like dangerous strain of existentialism and a not not super illogical conclusion of existentialism for me, which is because they could, they did. Uh, <laughs> and so in that way, I have chosen Omnipolo's Schploing. The Mango S'mores IPA uh, with lactic acid. So that, to you, is sort of the beer equivalent of shooting an Arab on the beach just to watch him die? That's exactly right. All right, I totally agree with yeah. that pick in that context. Yeah, it, it is the Camus of beers. Yes, that is correct. Uh-huh, yes. Um, uh, Baz, existentialism for you? Four loco. <laughs> In that it tests the limits of existence. Uh, how many have you ever had in one sitting? No, none. No, okay. none. So I drank four one night. It's was in it the name. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh-huh. My entire body felt like it was buzzing. Like a, it's it's like meth and alcohol, just two of them together. It's yeah. fucking terrible. But you do really stretch the limits of your own sure perception of reality and mm-hmm. existence. It, it's worth looking. Mescaline out. does sound like fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Caleb, we're on a materialism. PBR. Gets the job done with a minimum amount of waste. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Ah, cool. the utilitarian approach. It's material, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I, I went with the... Uh, Read some Hobbes, drink a PBR, yeah, go for it. Yeah, he or she who was um, so reductive as to be obsessed with those things defined as the finest of materials. And in that way, I've gone with Miller High Life, the champagne of beers. <laughs> Uh, for a number of reasons. <laughs> Again, back to nihilism. Yeah, for a number of <laughs> and reasons. And you're just advertising. One, because because it is the definition of a material defined by another material. There's 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 some literal play on words there. But two, because I feel like if that's the way you view the world, right, the kind of person who would see the world through that lens would also just drink Miller High Life. So I feel mm. like I really, really hit the target market on that. If I could speak to Miller in this moment as an advertising and marketing professional, I would say, just go find the materialists, man. It's easy. Google it. 
Yeah. Baz materialism. I don't know. Is, is this a contest between like who's right on this one? Well, in as much as I'm winning and we're just trying to see what else Garrett came up your with. Your talking points are just so sad. Just the same thing over can, and over yeah, again. You have a piece of paper in front of you. Yeah. Like, I, all, all I've written on this is Caleb loses. Cause, yeah. Yeah. Because if it's a contest on who's pick, I, I really like Miller. Bingo! That's a really fun on good the pick. fucking mic. Hey Russ, could you loop that seven to fourteen times before hey, we move you, on to? You the brought new? us lead nah. slingers whiskey before, okay, so your tastes are suspect, sir. I also love Malort. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. The kombucha Said, of liquor. <laughs> no human ever. Yeah. Said the four loco guy. Do you have a pick for materialism, or did you just want to take my pick because it was so great? I'm ba- I'm backing you up. It's good. Sound effect via mouth. Jesus. Um, Caleb, do you want to take take a stab at empiricism, or really you just kind gonna... of all this is is sound effects via mouth? Yes, so. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the mix six sound effects via mouth. New shirt idea. Got it. Uh, empiricism. Uh, so I actually did some research on this. I just done about taxes, and I'm deducting our beer as per our dream. Right. And I looked at beer purchases that were not deducted specifically for the mix six. So side beer, and empirically. By the evidence, it's Prairie Arts and Ales Vape Tricks because I love that beer Damn. and buy it the most. So the evidence backs up that that's the beer I will drink in that's, a world of empiricism. That's a tight pick. We could have the numbers to back it up. We couldn't have gone in more different directions here, by the way. My thinking was... What by the it, way, we deducted like $800 in beers, y'all. This has been a dream. Nice. I love you all. <laughs> nice. Thank you so much. I need to tell you something. It was 1200 because we both deducted beer. Yeah. <laughs> Holla... Um, empiricism. I went a different direction. So my one hope is that other people can experience the world as I have, and that in that experience we might find mutual and or this shared understanding. Terrible. Because it's all we have, Caleb. I'm reading this document. This is terrible. It's all we have, Caleb. John Locke wouldn't want this for us. It's the Stillwater rule. <sighs> Anything by Stillwater, <laughs> you have to. It's the tabla rasa. It's, you have to wait it until you is the slate, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I I agree. I don't agree with the pick. I agree with the rationale. Do you know what ties us together more than anything in the whole world? <laughs> the experience of drinking that the swamp water, the joint pain. Right. Anything by Stillwater, <laughs> except for the farmhouse ale, apparently. Yeah, uh, Bez, is good. You got a pick for empiricism. Coors Light. <laughs> You're just a monster. <laughs> why do we? Why do we let you in here? Well, Jesus. Uh, yeah, he's just used to slamming, slamming silver cans of beer. You know what? We're gonna have a talk about pilsners later, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. We need to be a science segment on this show about. I did have some good pilsners in the Philippines. San Miguel. Uh, should big shout out to that. No, I did. <laughs> San Miguel's not very. It's like literally the one place I wouldn't go for pilsners. <laughs> The Philippines? Yeah. Yeah, no, don't go yeah, don't go to the Philippines for beer or for you know, beer. for their Bavarian culture and whatnot. <laughs> uh last pick hedonism Caleb. Uh, I'm gonna go with Big Muddy Brewings, S'more Stout. Oh it's, come on. It is decadent, it is sugar in your mouth, it is a liquid s'mores, it is I mean, you're hedonism bot, you're a Roman emperor, you're on a chase lounge and, and you have a you have a man in a toga feeding it to you. It's just Oh, it's so sweet and delicious, and it's also alcoholic, and it's so decadent. And how can you have anything represent hedonism more? Mm-hmm. I want you guys to know because you can't see, he didn't even take his glove off before he slapped me on that one. <laughs> Just the whole thing at once. Um, 
I also tried to tried to figure out what would be the most hedonistic. And I think the prettiest obvious answer here, pretty obvious answer, and I'm kind of surprised you didn't get there, is MILF by Mothers. It's it's very good, yes. First, just the drink in and of itself, which is out this week, by the way. Mm-hmm. We'll be we'll be drinking MILF during WrestleMania, which yeah. is I've never been more excited to say a sentence in my life. Um, also the title of the beer is MILF. It is based in hedonism. <laughs> You can't you can't read, drink, think about, taste that beer by getting around hedonism. They there. should probably name that beer. <laughs> They've talked about it a yeah. lot. I got to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Baz, hedonism. Um, the beer I'm picking it, it's not necessarily just the beer; it's the genre of beer it belongs to. Sure, but um, I'm gonna go with Mickey's. What the f- <laughs> now, that being said, the reason being, I mean, I've only ever had Mickey's hedonistically. At that would be described as there's hedonistic. No, there's no live event that serves Mickey's that's the sponsor that did not have <laughs> heavy security. Yeah, some <laughs> Caligula s shit going on in the background. Shirts, shirts, and water involved, right? Um, or the like. Uh, no party that's ever been so debased or debaucherous as a night that had there. numerous cases of Mickey's. I've never seen those green bottles come out where the night didn't end with one of them breaking over someone's face. Someone was, was hit with one. <laughs> like the most violent, they're sexual. Inti- they're intensely throwable. Bad decisions are made. You throw yourself into them wholeheartedly, though. <laughs> you love every minute of it. Yeah. Mickey's. Uh, no, well, just, a, just malt liquor beer. It's a, it's a sneaky good pick, and I like it because you're thinking in terms of the function, not in terms of the form here. And I, I think that's like a that's a pretty yeah. good approach to this yeah. whole thing. Um, well, typically we don't think of these things as who won or who lost, which is great for Caleb. Uh, oh, and so God. we're gonna we're gonna move on here. Let's we're gonna focus grab... on the listeners that they now have a variety of choices for whatever they make meaning with. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, we're gonna grab more beer, and if if I'm correct. It's a fire sale next. It's fire sale. Holla. Get Ross, the, play the fire the alarm. alarm. Get the alarm that we have. Ross, play the fire, the alarm, fire alarm is the transition. Nope. Can not you make it with your mouth? He's just nodding at I us. don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, great. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? We are blessed. Truly and deeply blessed. Because we've got Inseto by who? Stillwater Artisan Ales. Mm, yep. Here's what I'm. Here's what I'm legitimately hoping for: that this is a good beer, and that the farmhouse we enjoyed last time was not. They've broken the seal on right. good. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it's all good from here. Was not a lone heartbeat in a the field des- of death. <laughs> the design of that can looks like a virus spreading. Yeah. <laughs> which feels uh, which feels on brand. But yeah, but a virus <laughs> a virus spreading, but as a like. Christmas like well the shoegaze can look like a VHS tape with a tracking problem that's so. why it was great <laughs> this is a it was vapor a dry hopped sour ale with Italian plum you know this won't be good I hate everything about what they just said <laughs> it might be good statistically it's possible. get in it get in it drink it he's drinking it he is drinking it he's drinking the he's virus drinking beer in two glugs yep. That's fucking good. Nice. Ah. Stillwater. Stillwater did it 2.0. That's a good beer. Damn, let me try the that. The plum is shockingly weird. Um, so as we learned last time, they do dry hopped stuff very well. That farmhouse, I believe, was dry hopped. And I oh, their dry hopped well. sake almost murdered me. Okay. <laughs> they do some dry hopped stuff very well. The plum adds. That is delicious. It's delicious. It's that fucking. Is like, it's, that might be a four or five. Yes. No. I think it's a five for me. I. I don't know about it's your view. It's on you. I feel a lot of pressure right now. If I'm being totally honest, um, God, that's tasty. I, I've drank the shit out of this. I want to tentatively give that 
Oh, waffles. That's a four. I want to tentatively give that a four. Ain't nothing wrong with waffles. I want to reserve. I want to reserve the right cue. I like sour ales. Yeah, this is good. When we get there, to also make this a five because I'm not totally sure yet. God, it's good though. That's a good beer. Like, it's very I, tasty. I, so, I appreciate the sour. I appreciate the plum. Ooh, that sour is real sour. Yeah, but it's like a plum sake without the cut at the back of it. The and plum I really adds like an it. odd yeah. richness. Yeah. The only thing giving that a four for me and not a five is the metallic element. It has that last bit. Yep. It has been the can for a bit, though, so okay. I don't know how much of that that's, is on. It's still, still water, water aging. Yeah. still water aging. It's aged. I want to take cans. a second to call that out. I mean, what we're, we're talking about trying to figure out if a still water beer is a four or a five. Yeah, so we've done Yeah, it. can we just acknowledge that we're all blessed? Yeah. And it could have been way worse. So given given where we've where we've come from, yeah. uh, this, is, this really is momentous, these last two episodes. And to celebrate that momentum, we're back with the fire sale, people. So here's what we're going to do. We're setting a timer for 10 minutes. Yeah. And we're going to rifle through as many of these mixed six questions as we possibly can. And here's the thing. We didn't do these because these were questions that deserve to be fire sailed like the last time. These are just a bunch of questions, and we're going to see how many we get through. Yeah, we just – yeah, here we go. Yeah. Caleb, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, go. Adam L. asks, is ethics just aesthetics with better propaganda, or is there a reified ethical program that is meaningful beyond personal preference? Did he write Heart That Marxist Caleb? Or did yes, you? he wrote Heart okay, That Marxist Okay, well, then Marxist. I think Marxist I, Caleb, I, I, I Marxist don't talk Caleb about should respond. Uh, I believe they are different because you have philosophical systems that are uh, acknowledging aesthetic differences that are skewing away from them. So utilitarianism is not about pursuing the beautiful. It's about pursuing the useful. The aesthetic is the study of the beautiful. Uh, and so if you have a philosophical system that acknowledges things that are beautiful but also skews away from it, I, I judge them as reified and different. Uh, so, yeah, that's my answer. I think they're very different. Moving on. James asks, what is your stance on binging video games or playing multiple games at once, Baz? Mm, don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. Ever. I'm with you on that. Um, Caleb and I both have been binging uh, Tom Clancy games for the past two years. and We, we shouldn't have. We're pretty sure we're on a list, at least. and Definitely. Probably- Probably on the Trump email list. Video well. games are a party line that I use to talk to my friends because I don't know how to talk on the phone. Yeah. Uh, as such, I don't really binge or play multiple anything anymore. I'm, I'm barely a video game monogamous. Does it like, depend on how mindless the game you're playing is? Though. I mean, if you're playing mindless games and binge all you want or mix, but for me, most yeah, of you can jump into nature. the story of Rocket League yeah. wherever you need. I think that's yeah. an interesting question. I'm definitely a fan of depth over breadth, breadth in terms of video games. I want to play one game and kind of explore what its opportunities are. I don't have a lot of interest in dabbling in a bunch of different but games. If, if you like Fortnite and you like PUBG and you like all those, just play as many of them as you want. Yeah, for sure. Time, yeah. Learn a skill set and then use that skill set. Caleb. Uh, John Burgess asks, on a few occasions, you both described yourself as having a fair higher levels of social anxiety and that you drink as social lubricant. What effect does this social anxiety have on your perceived Dunbar numbers? Does drinking raise or lower your numbers and how so? You might want to relate what a Dunbar number is. A uh, Dunbar number is the idea that you can have up to 150 social relationships. Give uh, or take. Give or take. And so a number is your measure of David how many Wong of relationships. David Wong calls it the monkey sphere. That's right. I'll tell you right now that, a, that the effect of alcohol on a Dunbar... That alcohol is an exponent on my Dunbar number is what I want to say about that. Uh, that after a few drinks, not only can I have 150 to the fourth 
social relationships, I can be reasonably interesting and kind of good in 75% of them. Uh, I am the total opposite. It has no effect whatsoever. In fact, uh, if I am drinking and trying to get to talk to you, chances are the only way I'm getting through it is by not thinking of you like a person. As a guy who tested mm. multiple times on the social spectrum, on the autism spectrum, and nowhere else, because I am definitely not, but right. I was terrible and still am terrible at talking to people. The only way I'm getting through that is A, getting drunk, and B, thinking of you like a problem I need to solve. Wow. And eventually we'll know each other well enough that you'll be a person, but thinking of you like a hurdle I had to get over was the only way I came over and talked to you in the first place. So Damn, girl. Do not take that personally, but it doesn't affect my dumb bars. Alcohol with my group, uh, the more alcohol consumed, the more insular I become with my friends. Oh. So I actually have very few people I want to talk to. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, spread, I yeah. spread my fucking wings. Yeah. Uh, Baz, you want to read this next one from Adrian Bishop? Adrian Bishop asks, Spencer has commented before about not liking beer and then coming around to it. As someone who is currently in the beer equals urine category, how did this beer revolution arise? How did you develop a taste for beer, and how would you suggest someone interested in making that shift? God, such good questions, Adrian, and I feel like we could really go on and on for days on this. Um, here's what happened. I tried uh, standard American Pilsners, couldn't care for them. Budweiser could fuck off. Uh, and then some friends were like, hey, you should try this Smirnoff Orange, and I drank too much of that and threw up. Uh, and then I got it a little bit into hard liquor. Uh, and then someone was like, hey, have this Boulevard wheat. Uh, and it was nice for me because it felt like a low barrier of entry. It doesn't taste a lot like beer. And I could add as much lemon as I needed to to enjoy the drink. You were pretty insufferable about Boulevard wheat for about a hot I two years. I was there. the fucking worst. Not a question. Yeah. Um, but what it allowed me to do over time is that as I started to get more interested in drinking Boulevard wheat and then exploring other Boulevard products, uh, they got less lemon oriented, more beer oriented. And then once I was like, oh man, I really like this Boulevard pale ale, maybe maybe I like pale ales uh, and then I started to explore other pale ales and other pale ales led me to other breweries you have to learn to like one a lot and then you have to get tired of it that's right find it find yeah. a beer trojan horse yeah. is what I'm saying yeah, that's... get in with one and then scatter yeah you need penetration and then when you're done, mm. done with it you need to try other stuff and then you'll like it again this took yeah. a weird turn for yeah. me there yeah. um, okay well I maybe not the best for to pick <laughs> but all right uh, I had a substance abuse problem and I was looking for something more sustainable and that was bush light and that <laughs> oh. got me over. I thought that was the next person's question was like, no no I had a substance abuse problem <laughs> no 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 uh, but that's how I got over it uh, I will read the next one LJ asks thoughts on the new Black Panther movie I Happy intake of breath I enjoyed it I wish it came out seven years ago. Yeah. Like, the only problem I have with the Black Panther movie was that it was another Marvel film. Yeah. And I am pretty psyched that if you're going to make another Marvel film, it's going to push forward representation and stuff in that way. But, like, the guy made Fruitvale Station. You want to watch a movie that just will fucking gut you emotionally. Go watch Fruitvale Station. He's a fantastic director. Yeah. And... It was another Marvel superhero movie, but it had great representation, and I'm freaking psyched about it. Soundtrack was killer. Fucking Best great. soundtrack they've ever had. Yeah. Uh, but it was another Marvel superhero. I didn't just want it to be the best Marvel movie I've ever seen. I wanted it to be the best movie I've ever seen, and it didn't do either of those things in terms of film for me, but I love that it exists. I'm kind of with Red Letter Media. I want more people to talk about Annihilation's all-female women of color cast and talk about that pushing thing forward. But no, we went to go see that. They went to go see another Marvel. We are running low on time, so we are going to cook through these remaining ones. Angie H. and Ben W. ask, Baz, what strategies or method do you use to even begin to compartmentalize life when you have equal and competing (laughs) priorities? It's like the worst scholarship interview ever. Psychologically speaking, one should not compartmentalize any part of their life. It's very damaging. (laughs) 
Let me say that question again. <laughs> uh, what strategies or method do you use to even begin to compartmentalize life when you have equal and competing priorities? Uh, I don't. I throw myself into one thing and totally shirk off all other responsibilities. De-equalize them priorities. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let me suggest that uh, the, the way I do this, and it's been working very well for me lately because this was a stressor in my life, is I do not cr- treat these as categorical claims. I treat them as dynamic claims. So today, this thing is my priority, and the next day, something else is. Ah, yes. See, present Spencer versus future Spencer. The dynamic pivot. Keep yeah. kicking that can forward. It depends <laughs> on the size of the priority, I suppose, as well. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But, Sustenance. Yeah. Yeah. Caleb, what's Greg Bennett ask? In light of the Oscars, Me Too and Oscars So White hashtags, what is the societal value of award show? Are there ways to they can be more relevant or helpful beyond, you know, inclusion? Well, Greg, uh, I don't think uh, the inclusion thing is something to write off. That's pretty awesome. Uh, but I think the purpose of an award show is curational. It's like the first area of the web where you were still reading like FARC or Warren Ellis's blog, where it's just too much and you have to find the best amongst the morass. I think that is the f- one function an award show could serve as. But in our atomized culture, uh, I don't think it has served that very well. Get out should have won. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I think that if the expectation is that they have to exist, then I'm sure that it could be more inclusive and more representative, and I think they should be. But not but, sure they have to exist. But I'm not sure they have to exist. RCB asks, is it morally or ethically wrong to take advantage of a rule that is beneficial to you personally, but that is a bad that is bad on systemic or societal scale? The mortgage interest tax deduction, for example, benefits lots of individual taxpayers, but most evidence indicates that it is bad as a matter of tax and housing policy. Similar examples can be found in other areas of law and employer rules. Can I jump in on this one? Go yeah. Ahead. You can't change the system. If the shit benefits you, I would say take the benefit, is how I feel about Disagree that. entirely. Yeah. Okay. It's called yeah. the tragedy of the commons, yeah. not stuff happened to the commons. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it's morally and ethically wrong, I, and you I, f- should feel bad. I wish that was true. Scott Henderson asks, how do you make new friends as an adult? I'm having old friends move away or drift apart from a lack of shared interest. It's harder to keep those friendships alive. What have you found works for you, Caleb? I'll tell you when I figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Jeb2, the revenge asks, so video game ports are a thing. Console games coming to PC and vice versa. The newest thing is game ports for VR, Skyrim, Doom, Fallout 4. So here's my question. What are some games you think would be interesting with VR features? What are some that may already be out that shouldn't be ported? I'm looking at you, Final Fantasy 15 VR The original WarioWare on Virtua Boy. No one needs that done to their eyes ever again. Oh yeah, forgot about that one. Truly would love the Division (laughs) VR. <laughs> no. Oh my God. No. The last thing humanity did. Dear was God, the that would be VR. disgusting. Ugh, Jacob no. Derby asks, "How do you balance being an aesthetic consumer, a board gamer, art lover, foodie, etc., with the Marxist shame that comes from consuming and spending too much money on premium products and serve and experiences?" You said it. Shame. That's how I manage it. <laughs> I feel it all the time throughout my entire being. Keep going, uh, Sean. With our last question, asks, "What makes a work of art, particularly a game, pretentious?" I think we kind of talked about that in a previous episode, but I think it's when you have a class signified that is devoid of aesthetic considerations and merely there because it's a class signifier. Bingo. With 20 seconds left. We fucking did it. Single Everyone high five. Fire yes. Sale in uh. the history of fire sales. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give us those 13 seconds to go get another beer. All right. I'm going to stop the recording now. So. <laughs> That's what he was implying. God. God. <laughs> <laughs> Hey Baz, what are you drinking? 
Uh, I'm drinking a, looks like a beer by Cathedral Square Brewery, known as Gabriel. A double Indian pale ale that turns sinners into saints. Mm. Well, I'm going to test that. Well, he, you're already a saint, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it can't yeah. work. Saint, <laughs> saint Baz. Mm. So. <laughs> the headphones are sort of like a halo above his, above yeah. his head right now. That's not an IPA. Really? <laughs> that tastes like a fucking porter. Really? I am not kidding. Let me jump in there. That doesn't taste like a double IPA at all. Rate right, like it, though. Um, a five because it's not an IPA. <laughs> <laughs> that tastes like a porter. I'm not kidding. It's 9%. Huh. What happens if you mislabel there's, your beer? There's no hop hit. There's no... No, it's weird. Um, it, it might be that it's gotten so hoppy that it's become... That's um, not how hops work at all. It's become like juicy. What the fuck is that? Well, it's a, it's a juicy hop. Are there hops in there? Yeah, that tastes like that tastes like a, that's like a smoky porter. You like, made, if you made a smoky light porter, like a clear porter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like yeah. Pepsi clear porter clear. <laughs> Pepsi clear porter. I I, mean, I would pay. I kind it, of right. like it. I I, I don't want to say I I kind of like it as a for, result of it being for a the record is is a five year official. Rating. It is a five. Wow, it's very drinkable. Yeah, wow. I could pound this. Yeah, I don't know if I like okay. give it a five, but and it's it doesn't very drinkable. taste nine percent. That's Baz, the other bad part. I don't I don't want to get into the weeds here, but I can pound this as a method of evaluation for you. Mm. May not be. The, the reason to give a five is what because I, I just watched what you did to that second shift brewing can. I liked it though, and and that that was not a five is one of the things. It I was like. technically existentialism. He's making his own meaning. Okay, yeah, let him, yeah. man. Okay, okay. Reasonable. Let him make his pairs. Um, hey, here we are in drunk enough. Um, it's our last segment today, uh, and I want to talk about agency. Yeah, you proposed this one. I so did propose on. this one because um, I had a conversation. Actually, it's it's. Uh, it's probably an extrapolation of one of the questions that showed up in the fire sale. I had a conversation, an interesting conversation yesterday. A friend of mine um, was offered an undue amount of money to help an elderly couple out once a week, doing a minimal amount of work that is meaningful and important to them for a maximal amount of money. And we got into a conversation about whether or not that was, quote unquote, taking advantage of those people. So the people are wealthy. Uh, they asked for this service. They came up with the number they would like to pay for that service, and they offered it to, to said friend. Said friend accepted and then came to me and was kind of like, I kind of feel bad about it. Um, and, and the ensuing conversation was interesting because two things happened. One, um, we got to talking about why that creates guilt in the first place, right? Like, so someone offered you something, you did not ask for a thing unsolicited, you were offered an amount of money that is a significant amount of money and, and may seem out of whack given the task, but you were offered that thing unsolicited and now you have some guilt about it. And so the second part of that conversation, maybe the more interesting thing, and the entree into this drunk enough is... Is it fair, reasonable, should we, or what conditions should we use when we start to make assumptions about whether or not other people understand things appropriately, or other people have enough agency to make decisions? And that was the thing that kind of fascinated me, is that that, that notion of shame was really a derivative of... I don't think they realize they're paying me too much money to do this thing, but I think that but naturally is it my place to say that's right. they don't realize that, a- and that that question in and of itself emanates from a I think a privileged or faux privileged position under which you feel like you have a, a better claim on truth and universe. Here. Clarifying question: Yeah, are we talking about this in philosophical precepts and in wide scope? Are we talking about it with this specific situation? Uh, because I'll tell you right now, I'm yeah. so rich I can offer you a ludicrous amount of money for a job you do once a week. 
it's going to twig me on some issues that are dear to my heart. Yeah. So tr- treat that as a uh, as a as a appetizer to get us into the entree, which is the larger philosoph- philosophical conversation about the ability to make assumptions regarding other people's agency and then to act on those assumptions. All right, your friend should eat the rich. But other than that, uh, other than that, yes, I think that is a very interesting question. It's like how, when is it my place to tell you what you know and what you don't know? That's right, that's right. And and what, what has to be true in order for me to even feel that way in the first place, right? Like, I think that in some ways that's, that's an equally interesting question, which is, in what worldview do I get to say, and I have a stranglehold on what is right, wrong, true, not true, appropriate, inappropriate, such that I can say your reading of a thing is none of those benevolent and or positive things? Look, I, I, I'm as American and the next guy in that I don't like people telling me what I do and don't know and right. what I do and don't feel. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm very... Uh, sympathetic towards that sort of idea of like the idea of my will sort of um, mutes yours based on the fact that I am younger or more knowledge or something like I am very cognizant of how that can be insulting to hear and how that is not great. That said, I think we need a shit ton more of that in American culture. I think there's some people who are some experts in fields that they work in and that you should shut the hell up because <laughs> we've lost humility. Because that the system of like, I am in no place to tell you how to do this or how to do that only exists if you have like some sense of like personal shame or humility or anything that grounds you in reality. Mm-hmm. And like saying that the weatherman doesn't know about things and doesn't shouldn't tell me what my weather's like is not uh, uh, muting your agency. It's leaving reality behind. And so, yeah, I do think there is a point, sure, which makes it philosophically difficult. Yeah, in which case, yeah, you don't have a right to your own willpower there. Only you only have a right to your willpower if you are made fully aware of the situation thereafter. But that's the thing: is it really a mutability of the will on your older friends? Like, if he says you really shouldn't pay me this much, that doesn't preclude them from paying right, him exactly. that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says here is what my standard rate is. I wanted to make sure you are aware of that. Right. But that's the thing. In, in, in our culture nowadays, when this becomes an issue, saying that at all is the insult, is the destruction and the mutability it, it, it's of tab- will. Yeah, it, it's almost offensive to suggest that the, the that offer I, in and of that, itself. That, that this thing that you've hired me for might be a thing that I know more about right. than you. Right. So, uh, in so factor that I do it for my living all the time, right. every day. So if we were going to draw lines in the sand, one, one of the questions that we're kind of digging around here is the under what conditions is it more or less acceptable to start making assumptions about who has more um, clout uh, on this thing? And therefore, in some ways, and, and I don't know a non-aggressive like kind of aggressive way to say and in some ways probably has more uh, influence, should have more influence in the conversation. Yeah. One of the things that you would introduce to interrupt this concern that I have is expertise, then, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. That if someone has technical knowledge or skill... Um, beyond a certain point that would yield greater than um, influence, knowledge, uh, ability to render a decision over this thing, then we ought not worry as much about agency. We should worry more about expertise. Yes. And I, yeah, I'm not worried about in, in modern society. I yeah. do not look around and think like, 
oh man, people have you know way too restricted choices yeah. right now yeah. for, for anything other than class. I do not think like oh man, there's just not enough choices uh, other than class, right. which is again why that triggers me a lot because yeah. yeah, that does limit your choices in a and does destroy agency in yeah. an innumerable number of ways. Right. But like when I look at like other things like sometimes it's just reality or expertise or knowledge or basic education like it's not a mute it's not muting your will but right. like um yeah i think i think it only really becomes a philosophical question if that education is provided and seen as an insult cuz like if that education's provided and i trusted you enough that we were going to have a sort of negotiation about who is right to make this decision yeah. and the education about the issue is seen as an insult right that is the thing. Because here's the situation we've all lived through. We've all been teens. Mm-hmm. How many times sure. have our parents told us things not to do, and then we go fucking do them, and then we're like, oh, shit, we shouldn't have done that. Right. Like, like, how many times has that happened? And that's the exact situation. You're teens. You're evolutionarily primed to leave the tribe and spread your seed, even though it is suicidally dangerous and dumb to do so, because that's in the greater interest of the species. And so... Given the greater experience, you are told that is a bad idea. Do not exercise your free will in this instance. And without ever considering that, because you're not primed evolutionary too, you go out and you do the fucking dumb thing. And lo and behold, it's dumb. Yeah. It's a dumb thing to do. And so you sort of confuse this like destruction of your free will with this sort of, hey, I'm trying to make sure you don't do a dumb thing. Right. Um, and so like... I don't think it's a problem so much as like people are actually having their agency destroyed. I think the philosophical problem is in the perception that my agency has been stolen away when someone's just trying to tell you not to do that. I think that's I think I'm more interested in the interior rather than the exterior bit here a little bit. I I think that as you um, talk about these examples, which are the clash of things, you know what I mean? And and in some ways, that clash that you're talking about is the best way to show assumption meeting expectation, mm-hmm. um, agency meeting attempt to mute agency. Um, and I think that in all those ways, you're, you're pretty spot on. What I'm wondering about is um, the types of instances where it is okay, and I think that expertise is a good example of this, the types of instances where I should feel better as a person who's like always a little bit insecure that I'm making the wrong call or like making sure I don't want to project or use privilege or whatever I've got at my back um, in an undue way, what are the the conditions under which I shouldn't feel like, oh my God, you're unduly uh, assuming others' agency and instead you're probably trying to really benevolently enact some expertise or some compassion or Experience, some Experience, yeah. Right. And I just don't know what the answer is there and and maybe I'm asking an unfair question. Maybe there is no categorical answer here, and I think that you probably already suggested that. But there has to be, there has to be something categorical esque under which I shouldn't feel so bad making unassumption about the other person, such that we could at least move the ball forward. I don't know. Okay, like I think one of those things would be this instance your friend had, like. Right. You hired me for my knowledge in this area. Mm-hmm. One of those areas of knowledge is like what a job like this would cost. Right. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, the the premises upon me being here preclude the discussion of like whether or not I'm experienced to talk about this. Yeah. If you don't believe I am, I shouldn't be here in the first place. If I am, you should listen to me on this issue. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's an instance in which expertise is definitely warranted to sure. sort of mute this sort of agency of somebody else. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, like, 
That's the thing. That it's really it's about a social taboo, though. Yeah, like, right. And that's the thing. The social taboo is so radically different for different people. Yeah. Like, there are people who you can't tell me nothing, and they'll go kill themselves yeah. rather than ever admit you were right about something. Yeah. And there are people who are just like, we'll have a completely great idea, but they're so socially, you know, wispy that the second you express any hint of doubt, they will cave and go with your worst idea. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's a social problem, really. Like, yeah, it is a social problem. I guess. I guess I have. Been thinking about it a little bit wrong. I've been thinking about the the individual problem, but the individual problem really doesn't matter until it runs into the social factor. So yeah. I'm a little bit with you on that. Um, and now I'm I'm starting to kind of rethink some things. I I do think that there is something to be said for in the instant, and maybe the, maybe this is the core of the issue that what you're talking about and the way around some of this is to agree on the terms of the deal. And I use that both in this specific instance, but also in the larger context. Yeah, that that's a generic assessment that if you and I both initially agree on what the definition of terms are and what the expectations are and who has some expertise over this issue and other expertise over this issue, if the roles and expectations are clearly defined, then maybe we shouldn't worry about agency as much. We should worry about are we enacting the definition of terms that we've set up in advance. Which is sort of the parent-teen problem because no one chose to be there. That's right. It's not an arranged relationship besides somebody shot out of somebody else's womb. Or I'm offering to pay you this and I assume that you understand because of your expertise. Which is a perfect situation there because it's literally contractual. Yeah. 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 So maybe maybe what I need to be doing is starting more of my social interactions with uh, a a very clear outlining of social expectation that that a a um, a checklist style introduction of people um, would be a way of undermining some of this ambiguity because I legitimately I find myself more often than not as I start to kind of like interrogate all of these instances where I think like did I make some I'm okay making unfair assumptions about people occasionally because I think that's the nature of. And uh, I, they're not good, and I wish I wouldn't do it, but sometimes it just happens, and, and then the, I think the important thing is that you recognize it and you check it. But what, what I get stressed out about are, are more the situations where I feel like I'm starting to move forward in a place where I don't feel like we've negotiated meeting and expectation and role, and instead I'm making some assumptions about your agency, diminished or otherwise, and then I'm moving forward knowing that those assumptions have not been validated. And I get really fucking I get really fucking stressed out about that stuff. Those are the things that I go home and I feel like did I do did I do a mean thing or a bad thing there today? Hmm. Did I not make public or mutual or shared enough some of the concerns that I had and 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 this is where um, insecurity is a fucking rabbit hole, right? It is all just like it I'm really is terrified to be in a business meeting with you now, as you're just like shouting down people. You're just like Alec Baldwin it, all the time. Yeah, always be closing, man. Yeah. It is self questioning <laughs> all the way down. You know what I mean? And it is is just that thought in and of itself a privileged asshole thought? That just the fact that I'm worried about other people's agency suggests that I have some privileged position in which I should be worried about other people's agency. Hey, man, you're Fero. Like, fearic philosophy, you don't know shit. All your senses can lie to you. Uh, you have no access to the truth, and you never will have it. But you have what you have, and you got to make a decision on what you have. So don't be fearic and walk off the cliff because you don't know the cliff is real. But be like, yeah, maybe I should have walked off a cliff. I'll never know. I have to go with the senses I have now. I'm pretty sure there was a cliff there. I'm pretty sure gravity and falling down would hurt. Uh, you know, like you, you gotta, you sort of, sort of have an ataraxia about it. It's an impossible quantity. Yeah. But you have to acknowledge that 
these are the quantities I have, right? And this is the guess I'm gonna that, make. That thing's gonna run into something. Yeah, and it's when the it guess I'm gonna make with what I got. Yeah. Okay. And if I can't get more, that's what we're going with. What I love about this conversation is that I don't feel better at all. Um, <laughs> it's a drunk enough. Yeah, that's right. Yay, we did it. In some ways, I actually feel worse. Baz, we did it. But at least <laughs> at least I got to have this still water again. Yeah. Uh, and it was good. Is, and, it still a, is it still a four or a five? Uh, it's probably a four. But honestly, like if you were like, oh, that's a hard five, I would go like, yeah, it's a that's light a five. five. Yeah. Um, hey, if you've been listening to this, it means that you're hopefully a backer of some level. And if you're not a backer of some level, gee, just thanks for listening in the first place. We appreciate you so abso-fucking-lutely much. Um, if you're not only already following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mix 6. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Mix 6. We've got a page and a group. You can also find Mix 6 stuff on YouTube now. Uh, we've got older episodes of Snippets of Adventure rolling out, and you can find supercuts thanks to Maddie Gibbons of us sounding like complete utter jackasses. Also, a lot of you have been sending us shit lately, and honestly, it's the coolest fucking Delicious thing in the world. Delicious virgin olive oil. So, thank you. Mm. Thank you so, so much for the uh, olive oil and the wine. Cock. And the things um, that taste very good. Other legal things to ship. Calk? Cock, yeah. Oh, okay. Cock. Okay. Use yeah. it in, to in cock bathrooms. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, for a second, I really thought you were just yelling out cock. Cock. On them, and I thought, well, that's he, a, he said delicious things that you've been seeing us, right? No, yeah. I thought for a second, like it's new to add to the outro. Pretty sure that's not legal to ship, just so. yelling phallic things. No, yeah, okay. uh -huh. well, uh, if you're gonna send us, we know who's handy here at the table. Hey, do not hack Spencer to redo your bathroom, please. Quite, do not question do that. his agency if he makes a decision. If you offer that. an insane amount of money to pay <laughs> me to redo your bathroom, I am gonna question your agency. <laughs> you too can send us things, uh, mostly the things Caleb said before that one word at the mixed six 2131 west republic road number 101 springfield missouri 65807 we want to give a huge shout out to andrew baswell for sitting with us for the last hour and minutes hello uh and drinking a couple of these beers right wrong or indifferent he'll be back again soon not just drinking but slamming one of those beers. Hey, it was a good beer yeah maybe that's what we should try next time just 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 chug them all an all one. chug episode just chug them well, all that sounds miserable yeah it's gonna be all a real right. bad day <laughs> that's uh, my episode <laughs> <laughs> Once again, thanks so much for everything that you do. We love you uh, really, truly, deeply, and longly. Madly. Uh, once again, this has been The Mix 6. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. We'll see you next time.